genre. Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, one concerned look filled minute at a time. <laughs> I'm Norman Mitchell. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And joining us again today is our friend Catherine Brown. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about Minute 99, which begins with Elrond gesturing Frodo to place the ring on a pedestal mm -hmm. and ends with Elrond standing up and shouting Boromir while Gandalf starts speaking in dark speech. Mm -hmm. very, very there's a lot of noise there's a lot of noise like the, the last yeah. like second Not and a half of this minute there is in like... later minutes but right yes yeah Elrond is, is about to give Boromir a talking to and Gandalf interrupts it mm -hmm. well not so much a talking to I think just to because he's he's about to touch the ring and yeah. Elrond's just like oh no not not this again <laughs> no 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 no, no. <laughs> bad human bad you come bad. into my house <laughs> literally <laughs> so the only thing that the actors are actually in for this set so this is it's like this is just dropped in the miniature is their floor the chairs they're all sitting in mm -hmm. the little pedestal and a little bit of columns around the set everything else is just them digitally dropped into this composite shot that's awesome mm -hmm. uh and this took almost a week to film this one scene, the Council of Elrond. Mm -hmm. uh, the cast says five days. Peter says like six to seven. Uh, probably going to defer mostly to the director on that one. Right. Probably. So this uh, this took a long time to to get together. Sean Bean uh, mentions that by the end of this, he thinks pretty much everyone had everyone else's lines memorized. Mm. <laughs> and then, and Orlando Bloom's like, yeah, we probably, we probably said it like five Everybody's got that. Yeah. Orlando Bloom says they probably repeated themselves 500 times through the shooting of this scene. And it changed, and then it changed again, and then it changed, and then it changed again. And, you know, right. Rewrite. Sure this was and... one of the scenes that it was really hard to get right because it's yeah. so much exposition. Well, yeah, because it's not just exposition either, because it's basically like there's character introductions, mm -hmm. how they act. Like there's so much going on in the Council of Elrond that's so very important. And the sound mixing for all their little hushed whispers at the beginning of this this moment when Frodo puts the ring down, uh, Peter Jackson was apparently never happy with these hushed whispers about it's, it's, the, ring. it's the ring. It was one of the last things they finished in sound mixing because huh. Peter was just like hmm. continually not happy with it and constantly telling him, no, you need to change this. No, you need to do this instead. Mm -hmm. So it was one of the very last things they finished in mixing. Well, they talk about like from a technical aspect too, like filming this it's really hard to get the eye lines right with the scale doubles and the yeah. the actors mm -hmm. themselves. Don't cross the line. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's either Philip or Fran asks, well, why can't you just mirror the faces if you have to? And he's just like, well, you know, sometimes when you do that, people notice because people don't look the same on both sides of their face. Right. People, people don't have perfectly symmetrical faces. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in another shot, if you're actually looking at the right side of their face, you might be like, that looks weird. <laughs> So there's a there's a lot going on here, and yes, this is a this is a very concerned look filled minute. Yeah, like uh, mm -hmm. I like I I particularly love Orlando Bloom's concerned face as Legolas because he's just he stands up very straight, or like sits up. Yeah, he he mm -hmm. sits up very straight, and 
because he uh because he has the blonde hair but still very dark eyebrows i think it really makes his eyes pop mm -hmm. when he looks very concerned at the ring mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you mentioned yesterday uh because you got a little ahead i got a little of ahead of myself but yeah no i really like the small detail of frodo sitting back down and just like relaxing mm -hmm. but he still looks kind of pained like he's like i really didn't want to do that yeah that feels good yeah like kind of. well because i mean in the context of their conversation um like 10 minutes ago or so um he's ready to go home so this yeah. is the end of his journey yeah for him at this point but, uh, um, I, I do like the little detail of it being it looking difficult for him to put the ring down. Yeah. And we we see some of that with Bilbo early on in the movie. But Bilbo has had the ring for over 50 it's years. more advanced for Bilbo. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. He so, could never he couldn't just put the ring down. He had to drop it. So I like that they set up that. Yes, this it's not just Bilbo's like failure of character or whatever. It's this is this is what the ring does to people. Yeah. And I like that they set it up early in this movie and then when it comes time way 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 down the road literally for frodo to let go of the ring he doesn't want to yes um because he's just mm -hmm. been exposed to it yeah, all that very, time a very long time yeah but even like it's not like he's had it for 50 years like over the i think the the story takes place um over the course of a year couple of years okay. i think a couple of years it or takes like a long the, time for them to walk yeah they're they're walking for a long time yeah. So he's had it for to... like like less than 20 years. Yeah. If you count mm -hmm. that 17 year gap. Um but for... he wasn't like fidgeting. He didn't have it on his person. Right. He just had it on it the mantelpiece. Nearby. Yeah. So and buried in the bottom of a chest somewhere. Yeah. Is it secret? Is it safe? Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, Gandalf. I threw it down a well. Right. What do you think I did? <laughs> it's the most secret. <laughs> uh I like that everyone looks so concerned when Frodo puts the ring down. Except for Boromir. Yeah. Boromir is curious. Fascinated. Interested. Yeah. yeah. He has a... Uh, in the in the commentaries, I can't remember who says it, but someone says that they're, one of their favorite things about Boromir's characterization is that he's impressed with power. Right. He's mm -hmm. so... He's drawn to it. Mm -hmm. Because he is of a line of rulers that don't really have true power. Right. So he's he's very interested in gaining real power. Well, we see that when he picks up um, when he picks up Narsil, Narsil and yeah. then he kind of thinks better of it, and then the ring, and you can hear the ring like whispering yeah. to him right before <gasps> Gandalf starts like yelling in um, dark speech. But like he, the ring is kind of I think the ring is also kind of feeling out who's like the weak link in this. And yeah. mm -hmm. it immediately kind of singles out Boromir. Yeah. Because, like, Boromir's intentions are good. Yes. Yeah. But he's just easily susceptible to manipulation. Yeah, I like uh, Sean Bean in the commentary through uh, the beginning of, th through this bit of the movie, when Boromir starts to talk here, talks about how Boromir's whole perspective is, you know, the the guy who's had to be painfully realistic with war. Right. Because... Mm -hmm. That's all he's ever really known. So he doesn't view this with the same sort of fear and danger as everyone else because he just sees it as another weapon. And like a, a tool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because he, he doesn't have any context to really understand what this is. Right. Like, he does know that this is a soldier's bane. Yeah, in the mm -hmm. book. He doesn't know that. He's like, oh, that's that's where that ring went. In the book, went. he figures it out. Like, yeah, it's, 
Yeah. Yeah. In the book, he kind of susses it out. Here, he sees it and he kind of knows. He's just like, mm-hmm. oh, well, hey there. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that kind of gets set up when he's speaking to Aragorn, where he's like, oh, the, the, the sword, sword that, that cut, cut the, the ring. ring. Yeah. 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 And some little details in the background of this scene with all, all these people gathered around is that when we saw Boromir arrive, he arrived alone, mm-hmm. but here he's flanked by some other men. So does, did he have, did he ride ahead and then? Probably. He probably, he's painted as a somewhat impatient man. So that seems likely that that's a reasonable explanation. Uh, and between the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain and the elves of Mirkwood are some other men, which I would have to assume are men of Dale. That's what I was thinking when yeah. I was watching. I have no idea about the men that are sitting next to Boromir, but I'm pretty sure those other men are men from Dale. Like, I feel like they would have to be. If you were sending a messenger to the dwarves because it matters to them, I don't know why you wouldn't also let Dale know that like, you know, there's some serious shit going mm-hmm. down. You yeah. guys should you guys should send right. somebody along right. to, to talk about this. Uh, and I have no reason to think that they didn't arrive with the dwarves i don't know why they wouldn't have traveled together mm-hmm. or right. the elves either or mm-hmm. because the elves of Mirkwood are friendly with the men of dale that's true yes i mean they're they're the, they're the bridge the men of dale are the bridge between Mirkwood and the lonely mountain because <laughs> the, they're, they're the friendly they're, they're friendly with both of these cultures but they don't necessarily like each other right <laughs> right like uh they're the they're the peacemakers they're like the median yeah, <laughs> between the two lanes of the road. <laughs> yeah. Good guy, Dale. Good guy, Dale. <laughs> I just find it interesting that all of these people are here. Um, in the movie, when Elrond said last minute that they were summoned, it kind of makes it sound like, oh, they found out where the ring was, and then they sent for all of these people to come to figure out what was going on. And in the book, they all just ended up in El in Rivendell for advice on various crazy things that were happening like Legolas is there to let them know that the uh elves of Mirkwood have let Gollum escape right um the dwarves are there because one of Sauron's agents has just come and offered them three of the dwarven rings in return for learning about Bilbo so a halfling was in your company in the past can you tell us where he is and then he just like slides you know anything about a thief (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> a burglar, perhaps. Perhaps a, a, a burglar, perhaps no larger than a child. Right. He may have a, a trinket that our master fancies. God, that's so shady. And then yes. Gloin's response: You don't even have to give him to us. You just need to tell us whether or not he still lives and whether or not he still has it. Right. I and in like return, that... we'll give you three of these things that you thought you'd lost. Right. I like that, like, the dwarves must be so upset in order to bring themselves to ask an elf for help. Yes. Yes. You know, like... So Elrond is the, uh, is the old, is, uh, the nearest, oldest and wisest person to go ask about anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Gloin has been in Rivendell before. Yes. So there is yes. that, like, you know, it's like, oh, I met that elf 50 years ago. Yeah, so the, the elves of Thorin's company are nicer with... El- the, dwarves. the dwarves of Thorin's yeah. company are nicer with elves than other dwarves are. Then why is this Which son is an ironic asshole? No, because they were the ones who got locked up. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That's true. But they're overall like friendlier with elves than it seems other dwarves are. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. but mostly because Gandalf and Thorin were just like, behave yourselves, guys. Mm-hmm. But then why is Gimli such a douche? You know? Uh, because he's raised in the Lonely Mountain among other dwarves yeah. again and not in exile. 
That's yeah, that's true. Not an exile when you pretty much just have to make friends with who you come across. Right. Uh, hmm. So, you know. He's once again raised in the anti-elf culture. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I've just like, dwarves are here. Yes. And mm-hmm. like, it's one thing to be summoned and kind of grumpy about it. But it's another thing to willingly ask somebody for yeah. advice. And like that little detail that the the dwarves in the Lonely Mountain are kind of pushed on by Sauron a little bit. Mm-hmm. To try to, like, leverage something out of them mm-hmm. is a notion that I feel, if it was still a part of this movie, makes more sense that the dwarves actually are, like, along for this whole ride. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And without that, it feels just like, well, they're here just because they need to be. Right. They're right. here because they got, like, a, a messenger pigeon or whatever. Yeah. Like It's like, you, you're being summoned to a council. <laughs> and why is it, if they're being summoned to a council, why isn't it Dane? Yeah, why isn't it the king? Well, I mean, why is it Legolas instead of Thranduil? Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> you know? It's because because in the book, these are messengers for other purposes that have all just kind of gathered around the same time. Yeah. Because the mm-hmm. enemy is moving, so when bad things happened, it all happened at once, so all these messengers showed up at once. With different pieces to the puzzle, and Aron's like, hey, I have a story for you guys. Which does, which, right. Of those messengers, Boromir really makes the least sense in that context. Right. Well, he, not, mm-hmm. well he just shows up too. Like, yeah. Because he, does. he had a he, prophetic dream. Technically, in the book, it was Faramir who had the prophetic dream, and Boromir did not let him go to seek out uh, right. Rivendell. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And he talks about that in the extended edition, which that scene, um, which kind of starts like halfway through this minute, where Boromir stands up and is talking about the dream, and he goes to reach for the ring. That and. Gandalf speaking in black speech, which is the beginning of next minute. That's not in the theatrical mm-hmm. version. Yeah. It's, so the, that's the first only part the of Boromir's speech. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this like first half of Boromir's speech isn't in the theatrical. So he just like gets up and like goes to touch the ring? Or like nope, how does he that... just gets up and starts no, I... talking about um the blood of my people are spilled for the safety of your lands. That whole part of his speech uh-huh. is where his speech mm-hmm. starts in the theatrical, I think. Oh. That's like the yeah. his first stuff in the council in the theatrical. So you don't see him get up and reach for the ring. No, that's not he in does. the theatrical. Oh, so why does Gandalf start that, he that, doesn't... the black speech isn't in the theatrical either? Oh, I see. No. Like neither of those things are in the theatrical cut. Oh. Like the Council mm-hmm. of Elrond, we go from him talking about like this is the doom of all your people, we're here to decide what to do, directly into Boromir's speech about like the war in Gondor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like we skip from, from there to there. These like mm-hmm. basically the back half of this minute and the minute tomorrow aren't in the theatrical, basically. That's or most cool. of the minute tomorrow yeah. is not right. in the theatrical. Interesting. Yeah. These this is an extended scene. There's more in the Council of Elrond in the extended edition. Because they they wrote and rewrote and redid tons of this stuff over and over and over yeah. again for this scene. I mean, because it is it's more exposition and Exposition is rough to write. Right, it is. And it's mm-hmm. necessary, but it's also difficult to kind of judge when is enough and when's too much, and you don't want to because break up the flow. Because in the book, mm-hmm. the way the Council of Elrond starts Even Elrond in a book, up, it's hard. It's amazing, that, it's amazing that Tolkien managed to make an entire chapter of this exposition work. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, Tolkien was kind but of a master a of writing exposition. There. Right, it's not. <laughs> no, it's... Yeah, it's, an, it's a very long chapter because there's a, there's a lot going on. It's just like 
the dwarves telling the story about the messenger Moria. of Sauron coming three times and talking about Moria and Balin and all that. And mm-hmm. then the, the elves of Mirkwood being like, well, the spiders are more active and Gollum escaped and bad and things are happening. talking yeah. about, oh, I saw Saruman and... Um, <laughs> I have some bad news you for everyone. Saruman is evil now. Uh, you find out where the other four uh, Nazgul were um, when... Aragorn and the Hobbits were attacked on Weathertop. The other four uh, Nazgul were actually off chasing Gandalf. Oh, there you go. Yes. Yeah. Because Gandalf so had run Gandalf into them like himself. two days before on top of Weathertop and ran off and four of them <laughs> chased Gandalf. <laughs> yeah. Because Gandalf is, you know, badass enough to evade four of the Nazgul on his own. Right. As well, opposed he fought to all nine the of them off for a night and then was chased by four yeah. of them. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I and in the book too, it's more of a council instead of like mm-hmm. Elrond telling like, you guys like, yeah. "All right, so this is uh I can't deal with this, so you guys need to figure it yeah. out." Peace. Like <laughs> The ring can't stay here. <laughs> figure yeah. out what to do. Yeah. Discuss. <laughs> Discourse. <laughs> there are a lot of options that are discussed. Um including in throwing the, the ring into the sea. So, Yes. Yes. It comes up at the Council of Elrond. And Elrond's just like, we don't know what lurks in the ocean. There might be a... <laughs> there might be a, some big, big beastie, beastie that, yeah. that serves Sauron down yeah. there. We don't know. <laughs> it's just like, it's like... Elrond is just negative. He's just like, every idea that's presented, he's like, no, no, I've already made up no. my mind what has to happen. Talk all you want, and then I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> he's still... 3,000 years, he's still bitter. He is. He's just As we saw so last bitter. week. So bitter. <laughs> he's been brooding about this for the past 3,000 years. He's like, I called you all here for a council. The council is negotiable. Basically, right, like, this is what I want you to do. I just yeah. want you to get to this point yourselves. So yes. I feel better about if, it. If, uh, if, Elrond, if Elrond was a drink, he'd be an old-fashioned but half-bitters. Aww. Aww. <laughs> that sounds disgusting, by the way. This is like bitters. Splash of whiskey. Like, I straight whiskey. The opposite like, way. Just straight whiskey, dude. <laughs> I guess it's a Balrog. It's all fire. What? Right. Oh boy. Bam. <laughs> I don't know if I have anything else for this one. No, uh, I don't. I don't really think so either. Okay. So you can find us on Facebook, where we also have a listener group. You should also listen to us on iTunes. Give us a, a five-star review on iTunes if you're listening through that medium. Mm-hmm. Words are hard. So uh, <laughs> thank you again for joining us today, Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> and as always, a special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182. Hope everyone has a great Thursday. We'll see you all tomorrow.